Carvana, we're in the business of driving you happy. And with the widest selection of used cars under $20,000, you're bound to find a car that'll put a smile on your face. Carvana gives you control by letting you customize your down and monthly payments. You can browse tens of thousands of cars online to find one within your budget, and you won't get surprised with any bogus fees. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to shop for a vehicle. Carvana, we'll drive you happy. Availability may vary by market. You hearing this? It sounds like yeah, this is playoff basketball. Time to tap into playoff mode. That nonstop, claw your way to the top, give it all you got type of thing. From inside the paint to outside the arena. Where did this come from? Everybody's got to get in playoff mode and stay in playoff mode. Every single round. The NBA playoffs presented by Google Pixel continue on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. We're not saying that planet Earth is coming to an end. We're saying that planet Earth is about to be refurbished, spaded under, and have another chance to serve as a garden for another civilization. Most of the people out here are just your reflections. They're your mistakes. 1776 will commence again if you try to take our firearms. One million planets, eight million species are threatened. You are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellent talk me, I have it. Not an act. You're lying. And the credibility of the United Nations is at stake. Absolutely kills The reason this is such an interesting time is not only because we're on the threshold of the end of this civilization. They're trying to take you out with bullshit. The experience of the past two years has proven beyond doubt that no man can appease the Nazi. Those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed. The bitterness of men fear the way of progress. The hate of men will pass, and dictators die. And the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. In the language of the U.S. Department of Defense, these are unidentified aerial phenomena. Roswell is a very interesting place. A lot of people over there get what's going on. There is very compelling evidence that we uh, we may not be alone. This is the garden of Welcome, everyone, into Garden of Doom. In this episode, we're traveling to the West Coast with a very experienced researcher, and he's got a podcast himself. We're going to say that he's in the field right now, and the gentleman I'm referring to is Robert Bitto. Uh, he is the host and the proprietor of the website Mexico Unexplained. It is also a podcast, as I said. Mexico Unexplained explores the magic, the mysteries, and the miracles of Mexico. The topics range from ancient mysteries to myths and legends to strange anomalies and religious curiosities. Sounds like this show a lot, except not limited to the except limited to Mexico or covering Mexico. We also look into bizarre history, legendary creatures, and otherworldly phenomena. The podcast purpose is to provide information 
not confirmation or affirmation. We will present what we have researched, or they will present what they have researched, and it's up to the listener to come to his or her own, her own conclusions to res- or to research the topics further. Robert Bidu has over 30 years' experience in Mexico as a student, as an employee for a large multinational corpor- corporation. He's also an owner of an imports business called Suenos Latin America Imports since 1999. He was a professional researcher by trade between 1990 and 1993. In addition to his MBA and BBA, he holds an MA in Latin American Studies from the University of New Mexico, and he's published two books, Mexico Unexplained and Mexican Monsters. So first of all, thank you so much, Robert, for joining us on the show. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me today, Jeff. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on the show. When I saw your so, just so the audience knows a little bit, I I said yes to a solicitation for something that I had never heard of before, and it's something called podcastguest.com, and it didn't cost anything. And I looked at it, and you know, you could solicit guests and things like that. And I sent out two solicita- three solicitations. Two out of the three responded, and one of them is booked, and one of them will be booked in the future. The third didn't respond to me. I'm like, ah, that's pretty good odds. And then they then they made me sign something saying, I promise I won't charge the people to be on my show, and that they and I won't accept payment for them being on the show. I'm like, huh, I don't know how they make money, but yeah, I, I wasn't planning to do either of those things. So cool. And then they offer you another opportunity, again, no money, where you know they can they'll promote your podcast in a website. And they will sort of put it out there to guests who want to be on your show. I'm like, well, that sounds good. Maybe I'll, you know, who knows? Maybe somebody will answer. They sent me a spreadsheet a few days later with 46 people, which that's awesome. That's like a show worth of content if I want that. So thank you, podcastguest.com. You're free, but you're actually worth something, uh, which is amazing. You you over-deliver. Uh, in that, obviously, I can't talk to 46 people right away. So I picked the first five. And... Robert was one of them because I, I thought this was so interesting and I love geographically uh, focused podcasts and I've had guests from Brazil and, and, and other places as well. But, you know, there, there's so much going on and, and his website's amazing. It, it's talking about UFO encounters. It's talking about legends, lost cities, cryptids. There's two different kinds of Bigfoots, at least that I saw li- listed on there. So I'm going to shut up now and let Robert perfect his, uh, his introduction, his biograph- biography, and improve upon what I did. Welcome to the show. Please tell everybody who you are. Um, well, you did a great job introducing me. Um, I've had a lot of experience in Mexico due to the business that I own. I started it in 1999. I import arts and crafts primarily from Mexico and other countries in South America. And what that does, what it affords me to do is to travel around the country. And while I was, while I travel around the country to buy my merchandise, I have come across many different things from legends to uh, stories about UFOs and creatures and things like that. And I realized when I was on a plane And it must have been like 15 years ago. I was on a plane and I had in my hand, I was nestling into my my seat, uh, a magazine called Muy Interesante, which in Spanish means very interesting. And it's a paranormal magazine 
a print magazine in Mexico. And I was getting comfortable in my airline seat and I was flipping through the pages and I saw pictures of crop circles. And I was like, hey, I haven't ever seen these in the United States before, these, these uh, specific pictures. And there was analysis in Spanish, you know, from Mexican scientists. And then I was thinking, you know, there's a lot of stuff in Mexico that never leaves Mexico or sometimes never even leaves the region of Mexico that where the, the thing is happening or where the legend is or whatever. And so I thought, well, why don't I try to bring all of these things that I'm seeing and stumbling across out to the English-speaking world? And so that's where Mexico Unexplained came from. It's a byproduct of my business, my imports business. That's amazing. That, 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 I mean, what a great way to, you know, put your hobby and your business together and then turn it into something bigger. And when we, you know, we mostly emailed before about what we wanted to cover. And I, you know, sort of vaguely said, well, let's sort of talk about like sort of, you know, creation or major myths. Then let's go into UFOs and then some of the major monsters. Because we can't possibly do justice to everything that you cover on your website. And, and that's you know, readily apparent in the first line where it says you have a podcast. So obviously you've got content, you know, for hours and hours and hours uh, on this stuff. But I mean, is, does that sound like a, a fair enough place to start? So, you know, with some major sort of creation origin myths uh, of the peoples of, of Mexico and sort of go from there? Yeah, we can do whatever you want to talk about. I can go on for hours and hours and hours, and I know we're limited to time, but yeah, we can bounce around and do whatever you know, whatever you want to look at. We can talk about. Well, we are limited to time to an extent, but not we're not crushingly limited to time. But we're not limited to the amount of shows. So you know, ho hopefully, uh, you know, if there's other things to cover and we get along just fine, and so far we are, you'll you'll come back uh, if you don't feel like you're giving away too much of your own content. Obviously, we want to promote your show as well, so we want we don't get into too much deep dive of particular things. But yeah, let let's start with. I mean, listen, I know that there's, you know, you think of Mexico, obviously you have the, the, the Spanish conquerors, there's the Maya, there's the Aztecs, you have the Olmecs, the Toltecs, there's probably dozens, if not hundreds of other tribes, clans, as I understand that the Aztecs were not, it was not one tribe, it was sort of a confederation. I also know that, the, or I've heard that, the, I've heard two things, the Aztec is one of the names of, of the clans or tribes in that or it was an it was like an acronym, a name put upon them that they were actually the the, the Chica, um, and that's where Mexico comes from. I probably pronounced that a little bit wrong, um, but why don't we start maybe with what should we know about the origin of Mexico and its peoples, and and some of the major origin myths tied to those peoples. I mean, everyone's heard of Quetzalcoatl. I don't know if they know what that means, but that's probably one that we should touch on as well. Well, there's a lot ground to cover there. One important thing to note about, let's say, the creation story. There are several different stories and several different iterations within each tribe, let's say. If you take the Aztecs, for example, which um, you were 100% correct, that that's kind of an umbrella term for Nahua-speaking peoples in the central part of Mexico. And I believe it was given to the people as a name by a German 
uh, explore, I think it was von Humboldt who gave the Aztecs their name, the Aztecs. But um, yeah, the Mexica, there were other Nahua-speaking tribes in the central part of Mexico that came together, like you said, as a federation and then spread, you know, the empire got bigger. But as far as creation stories go, um, all of these little groups, and even within these groups, they had variations in um, their mythology, in their gods, and in the creation stories. There was an emperor named Awisult, and he was named after, actually, a cryptid, um, a creature that lived in the lake that surrounded Mexico City, Lake Texcoco, also called an Awisult. But this emperor, who ruled from 1486 to 1502, he tried to standardize the Aztec religion, and he tried really hard, but couldn't, um, because their people still had their beliefs, and there was still, throughout the empire, there was freedom of religion to some extent. He tried to standardize it, but the the most accepted creation story for the Aztecs is that we're in the fifth world right now. They call it in Spanish the quinto sol, the fifth sun, because there were five different suns, four before the one that we're in now. And the sun that we're under now is a bloodthirsty sun, Tonitu, who demands hearts. He demands sacrifice and blood to survive. But there were four other worlds before this, and some were destroyed by fire, some were destroyed by floods, and whenever the world was destroyed, the people who were living there uh, turned into different animals, like monkeys or macaws or something like that. But we are in the fifth iteration of creation, according to the Aztecs. And the Maya, they had their own uh, stories too. Every group had, each group had specific stories of creation. And uh, like with the uh, the Aztecs, the Mai had the same sort of thing where they um, they had variations in this creation story. So, do we, do we know how long each sun lasted, approximately? Well, some lasted only some only lasted like three hundred years. Some lasted seven hundred. I think there was one into the thousands. So, um, yeah, some there was one sun. It was a world ruled over by a female goddess. And the whole idea of gods and goddesses, are, it's a different concept than what we think of, like, the Greek or Roman gods. Um, but there was one sun, one world ruled over by a, a female deity, and that only lasted 300 and something years. But yeah, there are different uh, time spans. So the flood myth, when, when people say there's flood myths all over the world, including in Central America, they're really talking about an extinction event for one of the phases of man or one of these souls. Right. Which yes. is not to say that it's different than the other flood myths, but, I mean, since we don't know exactly the time period, it it, it may or may not coincide with the years of the flood myths. And I dare say the years of the flood myths don't necessarily coincide with each other or, you know, you know, the most commonly known one, which would be in, in, you know, the, the King James Bible, um, else, you know, and the other, you know, Abrahamic books. Uh, so yeah, that's very cool. Um, so 
at, at some point, I, I guess probably the easiest thing to do, because if they want to get the details, they should listen to your podcast. But the easiest thing to do is take this standardized religion that, that this emperor was trying to import, which strangely, you know, or ironically enough, was probably right, you know, probably about 40 years before the Spaniards came and probably would have ruined his plans anyway, um, even if he had succeeded. But what what was the the origin story and or the creation myth and and who were the main panoply of deities or or you know earths or natural spirits that were in in that brand that he was trying to um spread and make it's amazing how wherever you are in the world leaders everywhere know the power of religion belief and spirituality it's 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 like it's it's in our like joseph campbell carl jung kind of uh you know dna that that a leader knows you you must blend these things too to, you know, exercise some sort of moral or, or fearful control over the populace. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. And they used, the Aztecs used this, they, they used religion as a, a, a really strong political tool, you know, a lot of propaganda. And um, back to what you were saying, um, the creation myths, like who were the main people, you know, who were the main gods. You you mentioned one of them, Quetzalcoatl. And in one of the creation myths, he threw his son up to the sky, and his son became the fifth son that we're in now. That's something yeah. <laughs> another, another version of that, there are two... We saw the, the emperor tried, like I said, try to standardize it, but there were two creation stories for the sun that were battling each other that he kind of let just go. The other creation story was the gods gathered in um, Teotihuacan, the main abandoned city that's northeast of Mexico City right now. And they gathered there, which is the place of the gods. It was built um, a thousand years before the Aztecs got to central Mexico. But in this other creation myth, the sun was uh, a god that jumped into a bonfire and then went to the sky. And the god who did that was the god of leprosy and sores. He had sores all over his body and he wanted to be useful. And so he became, he sacrificed himself in this bonfire and then became the sun. That's another thing. But you can go here and there and everywhere with this. But the main gods of the Aztecs would be Huitzilopochtli. He was the war god, the god of fire. Tlaloc was the rain god. And the two twin pyramids in Mexico City, in Tenochtitlan, um, which they discovered when they were digging the tunnel for the a subway, so recently, like 50-some-odd years ago, uh, the two twin pyramids were to Tlaloc and Huitzilopochtli, the rain god and the fire god. And those were like the big, the big gods there. And they had all these other minor deities. And throughout Mesoamerica, these minor deities were more, of, more like aspects, somewhere between the Catholic saints and what we would call spirits and apparitions or elementals in our culture. It's a very interesting way. Like if, if you felt 
something, if you were a woman, let's say, and you felt something in your body when your baby kicked, you had an emotional reaction, you're pregnant. That emotional reaction that you feel can be attributed to the goddess of pregnancy, the aspect. It's, it's more of a feeling, going from feelings to um, outside power, you know, things that happen from, you know, lightning to disasters. And yeah, so it's something very subtle to something very dramatic these gods are responsible for. And like Quetzalcoatl has several different aspects. He is also represented as Ehekat, which is the wind god, who is very important in Mesoamerica. Some uh, Aztec scholars look at that and say that's a separate god. Some people say it's an aspect of him. It's, it's not as well-defined as we want to make it in the West. It's kind of hard to understand. It was explained to me by um, a couple of people who are practicing the old religion and who are down in Mexico who are, you know, the, the, the descendants of these people. So it's, it's not quite what we think, you know, like what we think of as gods or goddesses in the Greek or Roman way. Jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. Nature has developed a lot of natural defenses. Take it from a little bug like me. I've pretty much seen them all. Porcupine's got quills. Snake's got venom. And me, I got camouflage. Nature's always finding ways to support life, like elderberries. Nature's Way extracted the best of the berry, tossed in vitamins C and D and zinc, and put them into a yummy immune-supporting gummy. Nature's Way Sambucus Gummies. Powerful immune support inspired by nature. Nature's Way. Right, but it's interesting because the Egyptian and the Indian panoplies are that for two. I'm sure there's others have the same sort of concept where the same god has different avatars or aspects where they have an entirely different name, entirely different figure, entirely different persona, sometimes a, a different gender. Uh, I mean, I think it's a set maybe, or uh, I'm probably wrong. Like sometimes when when wanting revenge or, or is angry, like, you know the their, their angel of death, Seth turns himself, himself, uh, you know, from sort of like a hawk-faced, uh, you know, male into like a lioness or a woman controlling like lions that, you know, kill her. Instead of a flood, they use the lion. Um, and, you know, in, in Indian, you know, a lot of times the avatar of Krishna is is Vishnu or, or Vishnu is Krishna. And, I, you know, I, I, you know I, I wish I remember all of this stuff. I can't. But luckily enough, I've got shows on, on all these subjects where other people have and you just go back and listen to them. But it's not it, it's not unique at all. It's interesting because you never know where people came from, from the migrations, uh, you know, and and what what started all this and who got to where. Because, I mean, even the Greeks have the the five ages of 
of Greece, you know, which, you know, five can be a coincidence, but five is very magical and very special in, in Chinese culture as well. And listen, a number is just a number. Maybe they just pick five or whatever, but still, I don't know. I just, I just find some of these connections so interesting that some put, at some point there is some root mother culture. And no, I don't, I'm not leading to Atlantis or something woo like that. I'm thinking like more like, you know, a campfire in the, in the middle of, you know, what was probably now Chad or something like that. Um, you know, 300,000 years ago or whatever, but anyway, um, this is your show. I want, I want you to, you know, continue with it, but I do want to know, like, uh, is there like an end of days? Is there a heaven and hell? Are there angels and demons? Like, do we have anything like that? Well, you know, um, this sun that we're in, according to the Aztecs, the Quinto Sol, the fifth sun, it will end and it will be replaced by, you know, another sun, a different existence. But we don't know when. And it's not like the hysteria of the end of the Aztec or the end of the Maya calendar in 2012 and all that stuff. We don't know when the fifth sun is going to end. Um, with the Aztecs, but they do have malevolent forces and, you know, forces of good. They have magical creatures and some of the magical creatures can bleed into the whole cryptid idea. And um, so, yeah, the world is a mystical place. And to kind of circle back to the different aspects and stuff, I was thinking while you were talking, you were talking about Set and the Indian gods. In the West, we have something similar to that in the Catholic saints. You take, for example, San Martin de Porres. He was a saint born in Peru, and he was half black and half um, Spanish, and he worked as a barber. And so he's the patron saint of barbers. He's the patron saint of mixed-race people. And he's one of the patron saints of Peru. So he has triple duty. Mm-hmm. And it's, he, he's represented in different things. Sometimes he has a broom, you know. So uh, it's kind of similar to that. I was thinking that would be the closest thing that we have. Because saints do double, triple, quadruple duty in, you know, the Catholic Church. Well, but, I'll give you one. I'll give you one that might be better or might be completely worse. And you can tell me. But the Trinity. You got the Father, you got the Son, and you got the Holy Ghost, but they're all one, but they're all they all have different faces and serve somewhat different functions. Um interestingly enough, when, when the son returned to the father, he sort of usurped him. It's like, you know, people talk about Jesus, not the Father, which is, you know, well that that's very Greek and Roman. That's 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 that's, that's even very Marduk. That's very, you know, Babylonian. That's you know, the the, the son overtaking the father, um, you know, is interesting. Um I don't know if there's any parallel to that, but I was thinking of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost sort sort of our avatars, but it's just so much part of our daily lives, whether you're Catholic or not, or believe in the, the, the Trinity or not, so much part of your lives, it's it's normal. You don't think about it as, as distinctive, but wars have been fought over these distinctions. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. So, yeah, all right, so sorry. I, I hope I didn't hijack you. No, 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 that was fine. Cool. cool. Um all right. Uh, so now went into cryptids. I know that in my initial order, we we're going to go with the UFOs, but I think it probably makes sense to take it right from, from the spirits, the elemental, the deities into the cryptids and try to, to, you know, 
try to hit some of the the major ones, and then you know, like everyone's heard of La Llorona, everyone, a lot of people have heard of the the Cuco or the Coco, um, and uh, the the Chuca Cabra and, and things like that. I, I don't I don't know where these fit into, if anywhere, into you know the I'll just call them the old religions. Well, some. The cryptids that fit into the old religions are very interesting. Uh, we have things like the Nawal. It's a shape-shifting creature that's feline and dog-like at the same time. And let's see what else. The Oisut, the emperor, was named after this creature that lived in Lake Texcoco. And some people think that it was a prehistoric gigantic river otter that it was a real creature and that when the Spaniards drained the lake because the, the lake surrounding the island on which Tenochtitlan the Aztec capital was, was on the lake would constantly flood the city and the Spanish city Mexico city built on top of the old Aztec city kept on growing so they drained Lake Texcoco, and so the habitat went away. So it could have been a relic of a prehistoric, a real creature that lived in the lake. Yeah. So, but to to go on the more mystical, because we can go mystical for cryptids, and we can go like zoological, because there are some there are some animals that people think are real, but since we started with mystical, we can continue along that line and blend into the reality. Or, or we can play a game. You, okay. can, you can describe the, the creature and, and ask me to guess whether it's mystical or zoological. Oh, well, okay. If that's uh, too hard, don't. You know, it's, you, we don't have to fall into my zany concept just because I'm not. No, there. that's okay. Well... You know, well, that it would be hard. That would actually be a, a kind of difficult game to, to play. Like, for example, my, my channel actually exploded this past week because I don't know if you heard what happened with the president of Mexico. He saw, he was out hiking, and he supposedly saw an aloosh. And an aloosh is a miniature, it's a small humanoid that has magical powers. And he was in the Yucatan in the jungle, and he said that he saw an aloosh in the tree. And so is that a real creature, or is it, you know, is it like Homo florensis, you know, one, the, the hobbit creature of Indonesia? Is it something like that, or is that just a magical, fanciful, made-up creature? You know, I don't know. Well, maybe but, it's the same. You know, you saw something you didn't understand. But but I'm going to go with, in, at least in the culture as we know it now, I'm going to say mystical. Okay. Well, some people say, I mean, it's interesting what's happened like with Aleutians. For example, in the spring of 2010, Elton John was having a concert at near the ruins of Chichen Itza in the Yucatan. And the weather was fine. There was nothing going on. And no hurricanes, no high winds, or whatever. But the stage that they had built in the middle of the night, it was collapsing, and it happened three times. And no one could explain it. And then the locals were saying, oh, it's because you did not, you did not appease the, the local Aleush. 
You did not appease these little sprites in the forest, these elves, gnomes, whatever you want to say. You didn't do anything. You didn't, you're not respecting them. You didn't get permission to build this monstrous thing. So then they, they got in some shamans, some traditional Maya shamans, did the ritual to appease the Elush. They rebuilt the stage and no problem. Now, Sarah Brightman and Placido Domingo also did the same thing. They built stages. They had concerts near the ruins. But before they built their stages, they appeased the Aleutians and nothing happened. So people believe, you know, that's they, they did the right thing. So their stages didn't collapse. But well, that's why his name is Placido, because he keeps things placid. Exactly. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I, people think it's real. People, I mean, it's really hard to tell. Well, make no mistake. I don't, I'm not saying the mystical things aren't real. I'm just saying whether what their origins are more magical or just more, you know, archaeological, anthropological. I mean, so. Yeah. And there are, you had mentioned at the beginning of the show about two Bigfoot creatures. And they're interesting. One is the Sisamite, and it's a skinny version of Bigfoot. And he's very shy, and he lives in the jungles, the jungle area. And he goes into Central America. The Maya looked at him as a regular animal, like a deer or a peccary or a macaw or something else who lives in the forest. But they did think that he he had magical powers. Okay, and people have cited this creature over many years. The first one to bring it to the English-speaking world was a circus performer from Canada who woke up one morning, he was camping, and woke up and there was a sisamite at the foot of his bed. But um, he, the sisamite is very shy, very quiet, and that has a history in the Maya archaeological record. Then there is another Bigfoot creature who is more like the North American Bigfoot. He's big and buff and mean and, you know, seven feet tall and angry. And I was on a show one time and I had, you know, laid out all those adjectives and the guy corrected me. No, the North American Bigfoot is a gentle creature. He's not angry. Okay. So, the Quatlacas, that's the big buff Bigfoot in Mexico. He is an angry, mean guy because he doesn't like humans going into his territory and most people when they think of mexico they think of clint eastwood movies and dusty towns and deserts and things like that people don't realize that there are three mountains in mexico that have permanent snowpack glaciers and there are search and rescue teams on these mountains that were trained in switzerland for high mountain rescue in you know blinding snowstorms and the Sisamite lives, lives on these mountains and in the thick pine forests of northern Puebla, where outsiders first penetrated into this area only in the 1850s. That's how remote these valleys and mountains are. And people don't think of Mexico as pine forests or alpine rescue and um, glaciers and snowpacks, but that exists. Those exist in Mexico. 
And that's the habitat of the Quatlacus. And he's the, the mean one, and he's huge. And some people who have studied this say that it's the Quatlacus is an isolate, because in between these forests and the traditional habitat of the North American Bigfoot, there are there is like a thousand miles of desert. So they some people who study this very seriously think that this is a population that's just been isolated over time. But um, it's very interesting to to uncover this stuff because a lot of people don't even know about this. And you're exactly right. You think of Mad Mexico, you think of you know sort of the good, the bad, and the ugly, or you think about you know beach resorts. You know, but you, and you might think of like you know step pyramids and things like that. But you're you're not thinking about high mountain ranges. You're not thinking about ski slopes. You're not thinking about pine trees and deciduous forests and you know whatever. I mean, the jaguars live somewhere. They're not living in the desert. So um, anyway, uh, yeah, that, that's a very good point. So is there an equivalent to like a, a werewolf or you know something similar? Well, you know, some actual. There, it was interesting. There's I did a show called The Werewolves of Coita. And there was a town in Veracruz that actually was played, they thought was played by were- actual werewolves. And that was in early 2020. And some people were thinking that it was anxiety around the pandemic, you know, when it was happening and it was a mass hallucination. But that was, that was a sighting in this town of a traditional European style werewolf. Now, I had mentioned briefly there was uh, a creature called the Nawal, a shapeshifter, yep. which is kind of the same thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it turns, it's a shaman, it's, it's a, a person who's into magic or whatever, who transforms himself into this snarling, growling creature. And that's the Nawal, you can trace that back for thousands and thousands of years in Mexico, the whole concept of that. And that the, the concept of Nawal has been kind of twisted a little bit by Castaneda in his um, books. The, uh, he's a Peruvian writer that talks about magical things in Mexico and the Toltecs and Toltec wisdom. And most of his writing is fictional, but some people get confused if they're familiar with his uh, writing because the Nawal is like a different part of yourself. But right. the ancients, the ancient Mexicans did not think that way. No, it's a, it's a specific creature that is a shapeshifter. And there are so other he, shapeshifters too, besides he, this. But. He's making the Nawal into Jekyll and Hyde, but the traditional thing is more like a skinwalker. You've got the shaman. And if it, 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 it has the skin of the wolf, it turns into the wolf or the lobo. If it wants to turn into a deer, it turns into a deer. If it wants to turn into a coyote, it turns into a coyote or, you know, maybe a, a hawk, which, you know, also w- witches are t- called to be shapeshift. So, yeah, I mean, more, you know, one thing can be more than one mystical creature. That is interesting. I have a question for you on the Toltecs and the Olmecs because I always get them confused. One thing I think is that they're both older than the Aztecs. Uh, one of them was long before and and apparently built a lot of stuff that you know other uh tribes or people stumbled into i don't know which one it is 
but it sounds like the, the, the writer you're talking about is calling the Toltecs almost, almost like, you know, the Atlantis of Mexico. It's like, that's the answer to everything. Like some people say the Phoenicians, you know, everything's the Phoenicians. Um, I don't know, but, uh, what, what is the difference, if you know, between the Toltecs and the Olmecs, and where do they fit into our, our timeline and mythology, you know, in, in the shortest version possible? Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you qualified that, because I could go on forever and ever and ever. Um, the Olmecs are considered the mother civilization of ancient Mexico, because that's where we start to see, on the Gulf Coast of Mexico, we start to see the growth of, of settled peoples organizing into civilizations. So, Wait, we, the Gulf Coast, which Gulf? Are we talking about like the Gulf of California? Are we talking about the Gulf of Mexico on the East Coast for our foreign like, listeners? Yeah, sorry about that. The Gulf of Mexico, yes. Okay, West Coast. Um, no, East Coast, I'm sorry. The Gulf, Gulf of, of Mexico. Mexico, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I live on the East Coast, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, so they are the considered the mother civilization, and there's a lot that's based on them. And you can see the trajectory, <clears throat> excuse me, the trajectory of uh, evolution from the Olmecs into the Maya, and then other other cultures adopted some of what the Olmecs were doing. The Toltecs. Now that's an interesting civilization. It's between the collapse of Teotihuacan, which was an empire, a trading empire, unto itself, between the collapse of, <clears throat> between the collapse of Teotihuacan and the ascendancy, ascendancy of the Aztecs, we have what has been just jumbled together as the Toltec civilization. And no one knows what their language was. They didn't have any writing. They left behind um, ruins and different pottery styles that are attributed to them. And so it's more like a classification, and it's part of this evolutionary track. Um, but, yeah, there's not a whole lot known about them, and they're a blank slate as far as their ideology. We can... We can get, um, we can guess from what they left behind in their iconography what they were believing in, but there was no written record at all, so we're not really sure. We have to make some huge guesses as to what, what their religion was. So these people who talk about Toltec wisdom, we know nothing. We, we have no idea what that is, and it's mostly... Americans and also um, Mexicans in Mexico who were filling in the blanks of the Toltecs with spirituality, right. and they're selling it. It's for sale. It's like, come to my Toltec, Toltec retreat, and, you know, there's a Toltec shaman. There is no Toltec shaman. <laughs> I mean, we don't know when the Toltec, a culture, we can't even say it's an empire or anything, or even a collection of city-states. When the when the Toltec culture collapsed, we don't know what happened to the people. We think that someone here, someone there, but there are no living Toltecs. I mean, by default, if you're Mexican or even Mexican-American or whatever, you prob probably have the blood of those people in your veins, it was a thousand years ago, 
but nobody is culturally Toltec today at all. Nature's always finding ways to support life, like elderberries. Nature's Way extracted the best of the berry, tossed in vitamins C and D and zinc, and put them into Sambuca's gummies. Powerful immune support inspired by nature. Nature's Way. When I decided to parent at 22 years of age, I had no idea how challenging or rewarding it would be. Looking back, I'd do it all over again. Being a single mom isn't always easy, but it can be the greatest adventure of a lifetime. Whether you're at the beginning of this journey or somewhere in between, CareNet is your go-to place for pregnant and parenting resources. And all services are free and confidential. To learn more and find a location near you, visit our website at carenetcares.com. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. but let's be frank. Most people heard of the Toltecs through the show Legend of the Temple on Nickelodeon with Mike Murphy as the host. So, I mean, you know, but it's, it does sound like it's become, you know, the Atlantis or the Tartaria or, you know, Hyperborea or, whatever, you know, whatever, but, you know, another Shangri-La, uh, Shambhala, you know, Eden, you know, sort of the, the root culture of, of everything good that we've lost and we you know we we've got to get back to the garden kind of thing uh to go to a little crosby stills and ash and i'm not sure but anyway all right so uh obviously my next thing after werewolves is obviously going to be vampires right i mean uh, you know do you have any uh, pure vampires there well this is there's an interesting vampire like creature called the tlawel poochie now say that three times fast. No, right the Tlawel Puchi exists in the modern day state of Tlaxcala in Mexico, in central Mexico. Tlaxcala used to be a kingdom that was independent and would and maintain their independence from the Aztec Empire, even though they were surrounded by the Aztec Empire. But parts of rural Tlaxcala, the state um, something interesting was happening in the 1950s. There was a functionary, a government worker, who was poring over uh, death certificates coming from the rural areas in the capital city of Tlaxcala. So this guy was looking at death certificates, and the cause of death for a lot of infants was chupado por la bruja, which means sucked by a witch. And then he went to his boss and said, look, what is this? What, what is this sucked by a witch as cause of death? And then the boss said, okay, we're going to have to send people to these villages and see what's going on. So then, then what came to light is this whole myth of a witch called the Tlawapuchi. It's a woman, usually it's funny, the witches in Mexico, kind of like the witches in the West, are marginalized women, you know, they were made fun of and bullied as little girls or whatever, and then they go to the dark side and they live outside the town or whatever, and they're alone and, you know, and they, they engage in magic and all this stuff for evil. And so Tlawapuchi, what she does is she shapeshifts into a fly or a mouse, some witch. She makes herself small enough to get into your house, so she'll get in through the keyhole by turning into a fly. Then she'll materialize in the baby's room and then suck the blood out of the baby and then leave. And so that that was 
being used as an excuse for crib death right. on these um, these forms, and that's when this whole myth became known by people outside these villages. And if you were to ask your, you know, garden variety Mexican off the street, do you know what a Tlalopuchi is? They probably won't know unless they're from rural Tlaxcala. And this is what I was talking about at the very beginning of the show, that um, a lot of this stuff that I'm bringing forth on my show and in my books, it's not in the English-speaking world because it sometimes doesn't even travel outside the region where you find this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm wondering about crib death and, you know, exsanguination. I mean, those are, those are, you know, they both die in the crib, but the, it sounds different, so hey. Maybe there really was the exsanguination. Maybe they didn't die. Maybe it wasn't regular uh, SIDS. So uh, maybe there is the, uh, you know, the the witch who turns into a, a tick with a, the, you know, with the appetite of a bear or something. Um, all right. So what what other cryptids do you, do you want to take us through, which are you know maybe not tied to anything, but you just think you know we should know about? Well, there's I've. The interesting thing about the cryptids is when I've done shows on some of these, I get the comment sections just wonderful. Comment sections are like gold because people will chime in and they'll say, well, I saw this or my uncle shot this. And um, it's begin. I'm beginning to actually believe in some of this stuff. Like there's one wildcat that, um, they call it the Mexican onza, and I'm inclined to believe that it's a real animal. It could be a remnant of the, a North American cheetah that supposedly died out with the last ice age. When the Spanish first came to Mexico City, they were welcomed as invited guests by Emperor Montezuma, and for months they were allowed to roam around the capital and take notes, and um, some of them even publish their letters and books. And one of the marvelous things that they commented about was Montezuma's zoo. And in that zoo, they had a mountain lion, they had a bobcat, and they also had this other strange long-legged cat that had speckles on its legs. And some people believe that that was a cheetah and uh, the, the North American cheetah that became extinct, um, which was a real animal at one point in, on this continent. Maybe still and, is. Um, I'm sorry, what? Maybe still is. Yes, yes. And people, I, I've had people say, oh, yeah, my uncle shot one of those in the Sierras or whatever. And there have been a couple of carcasses of these um, animals that have gone to study, you know, to be studied. And so from what I've seen, what I've seen about this, it, that could actually be a real creature. Well, if um, there's going to be remnants from, you know, before the ice age, it's going to be sort of in, in around the equatorial zone, probably, you know, a thousand miles north, a thousand miles south, because the ice age didn't get there. Uh, you know, the ice age was up here. So if the animals were driven south from the northern hemisphere, north from the southern hemisphere, 
you know, that that's sort of where they would they would end up, sort of uh, you know, around the Panama Isthmus and a little bit north and a little bit south. Yeah, and um, to wrap up this whole onsa thing, they, they called the Mexican onsa. Um, the last I heard, there was a carcass that got sent to a university in Texas for examination, and that was just recently. Oh, so, cool. yeah, I don't know what's what's going on with that, but yeah, it's all really, really fascinating to me. Well, let's switch up into the UFOs in Mexico because you know that that was like the first thing I saw that UFO stories only in Mexico, and I think that's really cool. UFOs are obviously very hot now with the, the, the balloons and what's debris, what's a spy balloon, what, what's something else, the Tic Tacs, the disclosures from the U.S. military, the British Navy, you know, ev- everyone else, you know, end of days, the end, you know, uh, you know, uh, they're coming to eat us, the reptilians. What, what do we got there in Mexico? Well, um, I know your shows are evergreen, but we are recording this on March 5th. Right. And, that's a, that's a historic March 5th is a historic date in Mexico UFO history because on March 5th between 5 o'clock and 6 o'clock p.m. which is your time right now um, the uh, uh, squadron of Air Force planes intercepted 11 UFOs not intercepted I should say it appeared on their radar Mm-hmm. And um, this is a very famous case, and I talk about it in an episode called The Mexican Air Force versus the Flying Saucers. And <laughs> why this is so historic, and it, like I said, it happened on this very day, in you know, this very time slot in, in your, uh, your part of the country, but um, the, the Mexican government wanted answers as to what was happening. And they uh, made it public. And this was, a, most people who study this consider it the very first time that a national government went public with a major UFO sighting asking for help. Um, totally transparent, released the tapes, released all of this evidence for examination, and the person who they contacted was Jaime Maussan, and he is the the grandfather of ufology in Mexico. He's been studying the paranormal. He has a a show called Tercero Milenio that is very popular. It's available on YouTube. Um, He's been an investigator for well over 50 years, and they brought him in to try to take a look at these tapes and these ra- the radar footage and everything. And um, they really were inconclusive with this, what it was. There was an American um, show on cable, I don't know, the Discovery Channel or the History Channel, one of those, who came to debunk this whole encounter um, and said that they were because they were flying over the Gulf of Mexico, it was off the shore of uh, Campeche, where there are a lot of oil platforms. And they, they claimed on this show that the 11 UFOs were really uh, burning 
oil platforms, you know, the exhaust on the top of the, the oil platforms, that they were um, 11 of them right in a row, and that's what the pilots saw. But if you listen to the cockpit voice recordings, you hear the pilots and the radar operator counting off how many that there were, and they were surrounding the plane. They were, they say, abajo, arriba, above, below. You hear them talking about it. So it's not like they're seeing 11 oil fires um, on platforms down below them that were stationary. These objects... These are Air Force pilots. They know that they, they, they have seen the oil, the oil derricks or the, the, these giant oil platforms in the Gulf of Mexico before. They, I mean, they know the difference between something that's flying around above or below them versus something that's stationary in the sea. I mean, that, that sounds silly to me. Yeah, it is. I mean, and so the, the, the reports that came out from this were that it, were, it was uh, all inconclusive. They, they didn't know what this all was. But, yeah, the, Ameri- the Americans stepped in with their documentary filmmakers. And, you know, they, they tried to debunk it, but it was a pretty pathetic attempt. Yeah, well, that's what the uh, that's what the uh, U stands for, unidentified. Uh, either whether yeah. you do FO or AP, which whichever you know uh, abbreviation you want to use. So that's really cool. Are there do do you have like abduction stories and cattle mutilation? There? By the way, I've never understood the correlation between cattle mutilation and UFOs. I can't imagine why they'd want to do it. Then people say, well, the military did to cover up. Cover up what? What, what, like, what? what does killing cattle have to do with a cover-up? I, I, I don't. I don't. Do you have anything like that? And obviously, I'm, I'm going off a completely different rail. But is there anything like that in, in Mexico? Well, as for the the mutilations, mm-hmm. those are usually attributed to creatures like the chupacabras or to the nahual or you know other creatures, the chaneques another group of little, you know, little people who run around and cause mayhem. So in Mexico, they ascribe that sort of thing to creatures. They don't look at it as extraterrestrial. Well, but what are those ha- creatures? Let's, 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 you know, the chucacabra is pretty famous, but uh, what's a chucacabra? Is it, is it like a sort of like, sort of like a fat coyote with a long tail? Well, yeah, I, yeah. That's been one of the descriptions. There's also another description that it's more lizard-like. And um, it has scales and, you know, like ridges on its back, pointy ridges. Yeah, something like that. A reptilian. But in Mexico, most of the chupacabra sightings have been like um, dog-like creatures. And dog, you know, kind of like the dog man almost in uh, North America. But, um, so those mutilations, if they are happening, and these uh, uh, livestock killings, they're usually attributed to these creatures. So, whether it's a Chaneque or a a Chupacabra or a Nawal. What's um, a Chaneque? We talked about the Chupacabra and our Nawal. This will be the third time we've heard about them. But what's the Chaneque? A Chineke is the Aztec version of the Alush that we talked about earlier. It's a little creature who lives in, you know, on the fringes of 
the society, human society, and he causes mischief. And you know, your your keys are missing. It's a Cheneke. You know, someone's throwing rocks at your window. It's a Cheneke. And you can even call a misbehaving child in Mexico a ah, Cheneke. So it's an imp, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So uh, sometimes they kill creatures. To you know, they kill. Um, livestock and stuff too but um the cattle mutilations and things like that it's not uh it's not ascribed to ufos but to the other part of what you were talking about you asked about um abductions one of the first abduction tales comes from mexico and it was in the 1950s and his name was salvador medina and he was driving a taxi and he was stopped by what we would now call the Nordics. And he thought they were gringos. You know, <laughs> hey, gringo wants a ride. Gotcha. And then so the guy, the gringo, the Nordic guy who spoke perfect Spanish said, no, I want to give you a ride. And so um, this taxi driver eventually published a book that is in Spanish, but it was published in Colombia. It wasn't published in Mexico. And the book is called Estuve en el Planeta Venus, which means I was on the planet Venus. And in the 50s, as you may know, the planet Venus, we all thought that that was inhabited by intelligent life or whatever. And so that was big in the, you know, the paranormal scene, the planet Venus. And um, even in sci-fi movies at the time in the 50s. So he supposedly went on this uh, flying saucer, your traditional um, flying saucer, and went to Venus for a few days. And then they brought him back to his taxi and they went off with his life. Well, you but, know, just because he thought it was Venus or they told him it was Venus doesn't mean they, they just could have given misdirection, like the word they understood. It could have been, you know... You know, you know, he, he doesn't told him Venus because that would be something he could understand. Right. Uh, you know, usually when when I was straw man for a bad guy country or land, I just use Jeff Zikistan because I'm Jeff. So Jeff, so, yeah. <laughs> so planet Jeff Zikistan. And then there's another there's another um, very notable abduction case in Mexico of a teenage girl. And why that's notable and I got a lot of, uh, of praise when I dropped that show about the Santa Maria Air Force Base. Um, it was a girl, a teenage girl, who was living there because fa- her father was stationed at this base. And she woke up one um, night, in the middle of the night, and saw a flying saucer supposedly outside the window. And she walked to it, and then they took her on board. Well, I don't know if it would be considered an abduction because she went willingly. Right. But um, she thought that the people on board this craft spoke accented Spanish. And some people theorized that this was either a U.S. or a Soviet uh, project that somehow she got uh, caught up in. And this, I believe, happened in the late 60s, like 1968 or 1969. And one person contacted me and said that it was the Soviets. And the people she encountered were Eastern Bloc people, 
like from Czechoslovakia or Poland, and this was part of some sort of Eastern Bloc project that she had stumbled into. But um, then there are other people who believe that this was a genuine agreement. And she was given, um, I guess, she was shown what the future would be like and and all this other stuff, too. So uh, apparently this woman is still alive, and she did give some interviews in the early 80s, but um, she's not talking anymore. But um, it was an interesting... Uh, it was an interesting story, and like I said, people commended me for bringing it forward because you rarely hear about women getting abducted. In a lot of these cases, mostly men. It's not like younger women, you know. But uh, in Mexico, but yeah, but that's interesting. Uh, you know, it's funny if they think it's American or Soviet. Like if it's if it's accented is Spanish, you know, why wouldn't you think it was like Portuguese or something? <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, and the thing was that the people on the craft were... Sweetie, time to take your medicine. Yeah, no. <sighs> oh, dear, there is a better way. Really? Really, go from yuck to yum with free medicine flavoring from Kenny Drugs. Sweetie, time to take your medicine. It's cherry. Yummy. Yes, free flavoring makes the medicine go down. Mm. Tons of flavor combos at Kenny Drugs. Free for a limited time. Check it out at KinneyDrugs.com. Yum! At the Boston University Questrom School of Business, Questrom means a top-tier undergraduate business program preparing students to be day one ready. A transformative online MBA program that's developing the next generation of business leaders and research with impact that drives powerful insights at the speed of today. Where we've been is admirable. Where we are is impressive. Where we're going is unlimited. And there's no signs of slowing down. In the quest for success, Questrom means business. They, they tended to look Slavic or Northern, Northwestern European. So that was the assumption, I guess. Okay. So, um, yeah. So more, so more Nordics. Yeah, more of the Nordics, which is probably the most popular uh, type of alien that is seen in Mexico. It's the Nordics. While we're on the Nordics or the description of sort of the you know traditionally Caucasian, if that's even it's you know it's an outdated term, but Caucasian in in paranormal, there's a whole school of thought where people are saying that Quetzalcoatl, which I know you pronounce differently, probably correctly, was white. My understanding is that's not true at all. Is that that was a painting that was done by the Spaniards afterwards, and like the closest thing to white was that you know something like a. Like he had the like he had the shining armor that was silver or something like that, but he was uh, multi multicolored feathered, almost like Joseph in Technicolor Dreamcoat, and and not Caucasoid at all. But I don't know. Tell tell me, is is am I right or are those folks right? Well, you know, there's been recent scholarship in the 21st century going back and saying, where did this white bearded god come from? Right, and the the question that the uh, the scholars have been asking is what what was Quetzalcoatl or Quetzalcoatl to be a pure uh, Nawash speaker right Quetzalcoatl 
what was he described as before the Spanish arrived? Okay. So he wasn't described as a white person with a beard. I mean, like you said, that came after. And maybe that came after so that the medicine would go down easier as far as, um, well, look, two generations ago, you know, this is a Spanish person speaking in the late 1500s. Two generations ago, your ancestors worshipped this bearded white guy. So here we have another one that you can worship, okay? It's like the Virgin of Guadalupe appearing on a hill dedicated to a goddess, Tonatzin. Um, here we have this other female aspect of the divine that just so happened to appear on this hill. Um, some people think that that also is something that was made up a few generations after the conquest. But Quetzalcoatl, people uh, believe that he was based on a real person, a real king in Mesoamerica who lived around 1200 AD. Mm -hmm. But um, he wasn't, I mean, from what I've seen and the, the, the new scholarship that's coming out, which is really, really good because there's a lot of information to look at, uh, it wasn't some bearded white guy who came from across the sea. And, you know, the, there's a certain religion out there who that the, the certain uh, religion claims that it is Christ who came to the Americas. Sure. And I think you might know uh, which group I'm talking about. But um, so once again, when you have something that's murkily defined, people will put whatever they want on it and they will ascribe whatever they want on this onto whatever this is. Okay. All right. So how about some of the major legends you have? I mean, you have sections on haunted places and castles and legends and, and I don't know, you know, just give us like an overview of some of your favorites. Well, you know, today I just dropped a legends show. So that's fresh in my mind. I, what I do with my legends is I go geographically. So today I looked at the legends of Aguas Calientes. That is a very small state in north central Mexico. And um, yeah, each region has their own little things. And some of the legends are based on indigenous stories. So they go back possibly thousands of years. And there are so many legends. I mean... The most popular ones, of course, are the Yorona. There's even a Hollywood movie on that. Right. Um, and I thought I saw her when I was a child in New Mexico. Um, and, you know, there are legends like that that cross over into all different states of Mexico. But then there are some that are very specific. Like today, um, there's a legend of a pool that's outside the city of Aguas Calientes where this lizard creature, uh, a lizard humanoid in the UFO lore, you call him a reptilian, right? Sure. Um, and he lives in the pond. And in the 1880s on um, church records, there was a preponderance of entries that said the, for the, father of the baby, Chan del Agua. 
which meant this creature who lived in the pond. And supposedly women who were going to bathe in that pond became pregnant from this creature. But what was really happening is, if you don't believe in the legend, is having children out of wedlock in the 1880s in Mexico was a serious thing. So it was better to claim that a creature that you didn't know of, that you didn't have any control of, was the father of this baby that you're carrying. Uh, so, so, so it was like a incubus. Yeah, so this, what was happening in the 1880s, you know, what I just described, is actually based on uh, an old, old legend that goes back maybe a thousand years connected to this specific pond, that there's this reptilian creature that lives there. So they just uh, twisted that a little bit and adapted it to uh, their 1880s reality in Mexico. But legends are, oh my gosh, I there's so many. Everywhere you go, All right. so. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with four things, which might actually be three things, or might be two, and and some might even be not applicable here. But okay. Thunderbird, Firebird, Rock, Dragon, Lechusa. <laughs> okay, now <laughs> there. This is a creature that I think might exist. Okay, what this is, Lechusa is this gigantic owl that has a wingspan of 15 to 20 feet. And some people think it's similar to all those creatures you just listed, which are kind of variations on each other, right? Um, well, maybe. Maybe, right. Yeah, exactly. Okay, we don't, we don't know for sure. But the Lechusa, it could be a real gigantic owl that we don't know about yet, but there is a legend connected with it. Supposedly a witch, once again, a marginalized woman who lives outside of town, right, who, uh, who wants to get back at people, turns into a gigantic owl and goes around and tries to kill people or to take their dog or their livestock. And um, you can ward her off by tying four knots into a rope and hanging it outside your door and sprinkling, sprinkling salt in front of your door. So that's the way to ward off a Lechusa. But um, I've, the Lechusa story is really interesting because that is the cryptid, the one cryptid or legend, legendary creature, that has gotten the most response of all of the shows that I've done. And People are sharing their stories with me. I even had someone offer to go on a Lechusa hunt with me. And it seems like the habitat of the Lechusa is in northern Mexico, the Rio Grande Valley, into Texas. The southern Rio Grande Valley is where there's a lot of sightings of this creature. Are we so, sure they're not condors? Um... I, mean, I know a condor doesn't look like an owl, but the, from the from the neck down, it, it, it could be. Condor is more like a giant uh, vulture, but prettier. Right. Yeah, right. And of course, we have them in California, not a whole lot of them. Um, they're very rare, but uh, yeah. So this gigantic owl 
And if you shoot one, uh, it supposedly dies and then turns back into the, the woman, the witch. But so that's an, a good example of a legend that could possibly be based on a real creature. You take the witch out of it, and you're left with this owl with a 15-foot wingspan. Is it possible? Well, a lot of, of Mexico is remote, mm-hmm. and a lot of it's unexplored. A lot of people don't realize that. The northern mountains of Mexico, a creature like this could live there easily and not be detected. You have like a, like a traditional like serpent you know, a uh, creature or whether flying or otherwise, where, you know, fire breathing dragon or treasure hoarding snake or, you know, or some combination of that, or is, that, that just does not exist down there. No, there is one. There's a guardian snake of the Maya, and I think it's called the Tsulkun. And it what it does is it guards the cenotes, and the cenotes are sinkholes where the Maya get their water from. Because most of the Yucatan is a limestone shelf, and there's no surface water. So you have to go into these gigantic natural cisterns, natural sinkholes to get water. And they believe that there's a gigantic snake that guards these these, uh, cenotes. Is he guarding it from them or for them? For them. Yeah, it's a benevolent snake. And when it's about to die, it flies into the ocean. So it does, ha- it has the ability to fly. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So that's our, that's our dragon. Is there any difference between the Thunderbird and a Firebird? Um, yeah, I have no idea. I, mean, okay. that's more, I think that's more like North American native, right? Uh, like U.S. and Canada. Probably, uh, you know, I, I don't really know. I figure that there's always sort of uh, equivalence. And the Rock is that? Is that? Uh, uh, I only remember the Rock because there was a movie called Rock, and then the movie Quetzalcoatl came around the same time, and they look the same. <laughs> I, well, that's Arabian, right? That's from the Middle East. The Rock. I don't yeah. Have to look into it. Uh, yeah, I think I conflated the two. I know a Rock is just a big bird, you know, basically a big, you know. Uh, Raptor, basically. Um, yeah. All right. Well, that's that's very cool. So, all right. So, Thunderbird and uh, Firebird, more north of the Rio Grande, not south of the Rio Grande. Um, we've we've got two different kinds of Bigfoots. We've got something close enough to a dragon, or at least a benevolent snake, who I guess would not be benevolent to the enemies of these particular people. And I guess there's some way they can identify themselves, or or it just intuits it. Uh, we've we've got our our shapeshifters, our witches, uh, possibly the same or different than werewolves. We got our we've got our imp, we've got our chuka chukacabra, we got a yeah we got a whole bunch of things going on. We got UFOs, we got abductions, we got mutilations. It's it's all there. Yeah, and you know what? We also have with the Awisut, we also have like a Loch Ness monster creature oh. because people still see this this lake monster, this creature too. And one other thing that we didn't touch on is there's also an equivalent of the Bermuda Triangle in Mexico. It's called the Zone of Silence, the Zono de Silencio. And that's, I could talk about that for a whole hour, but it's a, a place where there's magnetic anomalies, 
meteors crash there. There's strange creatures. The cactus there grows really weird. There are different plants that are out of whack and things like that. And there's, um, it's part of a biosphere reserve. And some people believe that NASA has an underground base there and they're conducting experiments and stuff. And how this came, I don't know. It's funny because a lot of things that happen in Mexico, weird stuff, there's always, they, they blame NASA all the time, more than the CIA. Whenever there's something weird that happens, like that has something to do with par- the paranormal. That's but a choice. I'll go Air Force, CIA, NSA, DARPA, maybe. Yeah, but NASA supposedly has a research, uh, uh, an underground research base there or whatever. And the zone of silence uh, became really popular on the Internet when a diary surfaced. And I saw this diary. It was a diary of a park ranger who disappeared. And the diary was written in Spanish. But... Nobody has has located this park ranger. Um, his car was left, you know, in front of the building where he was stationed, and and his diary supposedly was found, and then it made it to the internet. And that's actually how I found out about the zone of silence. Where is the zone of silence? Like, where's it in it's, Mexico? It's in North Mexico, Chihuahua, Durango. Um, it's a desert area. It's a desert preserve. Um, Could so, it be an offshoot of the same uh, meteorite or asteroid that hit Yucatan? Maybe. Um, yeah, it's hard to tell. Uh, but there's a lot of theories as to what's going on. Some people believe that there's a race of people who are living underneath there. An offshoot of the Maya who are living underground. And uh, it's they're called the Yellow Maya. I don't know why they're called that, but uh, that they have an underground city there. Because they got so jaundice they, because they get no sun. Yeah. <laughs> so. <Duh. yes. laughs> right. Yeah. So that's a weird place. And now what's going on there is people are, there are a lot of tours going to this place. Um, tons and tons of tours. You can take a paranormal tour out to the zone of silence. I want to go there. Even even if there's nothing there, if it's quiet, I would still be happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. I, I that that would be amazing. I, it, it's almost like the plot of Black Panther two, except not in the water. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah, Mexico has everything as far as an equivalent, it seems like, to um, all these different things. But like I said, not a whole lot of people know about a lot of this stuff because it never makes it outside of Mexico. Or if it's on the Internet, it's in Spanish. It's not in English. Well, hopefully we've helped you on your journey to, to change that. Your podcast is called Mexico Unex- Unexplained. And, you know, maybe you'll agree to come back on uh, again, especially if we get the technology uh, fixed and figure this out a little bit better. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, explore some of the things you want to explore in detail in, you know, an organization that, that you, you know, would choose to do without giving away, you know, all of your episodes where maybe like 
you know, an enticement to listen to the, the deep dive episode. But yeah, yeah very I'd cool. I'd love to come back on again if you'll have me. Yeah, anytime you can reach out to me. And anyone who wants to contact me can go to my website or MexicanExplained.com or my YouTube channel. I'm really good at responding to comments there. And um, yeah, reach out to me and I get a lot of good material from listeners and viewers too. A lot of good tips. So I really do appreciate that coming from the public. Excellent. So folks, this is Robert Bitto. He is the host of Mexico Unexplained. As you heard, he's got a YouTube channel as well and the website. So check this stuff out. He also has an MBA and a BBA and an MA. So you know he's he's not just he's not just a crank, just like I'm not just a crank. Um, you know, without rejecting the, the crank entirely, uh, but he seems less cranky than I do. Um, so this is great. Thank you so so much for sharing some of this unknown, unexplained aspects of Maryland. Uh, Maryland, I'm in Mexico. Um, maybe one day Maryland unexplained as well. But uh, anyway. Thank you so much for being on Garden of Doom. Is there anything else? Tell people your your books also. Um, The books, Mexico Unexplained, that was published in 2017, and then a follow-up book, Mexican Monsters, dealing with the cryptids. And I have, as a companion to that book, I have a coloring book. that, That has all the monsters, and it's good for adults or children. So it's 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 rated G, so you can give it to your five-year-old. So, And then I have, in the next few months, I have another book coming out called Mexican Miracles. And I talk about the saints, shrines, and virgins of Mexico. So, Excellent. yeah, I have all of that stuff out there. You touch on Santorini? Uh, Santeria? Santeria, sorry, yeah. Not the really? island, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, where Atlantis was supposedly, right? Yeah, one um, of the places, sure. Yeah, one of the theories. Um, Santeria is more of a Caribbean thing, and there is some of it in Mexico, and some of it does overlap a little bit. I don't get into it that much, but yeah, there is some overlap there. All right, very cool. Well, thank you for your insights. Yes, you're absolutely invited on the show again. We'll we'll figure it out. We'll be in touch. And uh, I thank you for your time. Thank you so much for your expertise, and this has been a lot of fun. Thank you, Jeff. And folks, thank you for listening. Please give us a a rating, a five-star rating, a review, uh, and more importantly, anything else. Shows like mine and probably like Robert's as well, we we rely on referrals more than anything else. So uh, please, referrals, especially those of us who we don't fit into just one genre. We cover a bunch of things. So it's really cool when uh, you become our our referrals because that's the best thing. Anyway, thank you for listening to Garden of Doom, and you'll check us out again next week. Sweetie, time to take your medicine. Yeah, no. <sighs> oh dear, there is a better way. Really? Really. Go from yuck to yum with free medicine flavoring from Kenny Drugs. Sweetie, time to take your medicine. It's cherry. Yummy. Yes, free flavoring makes the medicine go down. Mm. Tons of flavor combos at Kenny Drugs. Free for a limited time. Check it out at KennyDrugs.com. Yum.
At the Boston University Questrom School of Business, Questrom means a top-tier undergraduate business program preparing students to be day one ready. A transformative online MBA program that's developing the next generation of business leaders. And research with impact that drives powerful insights at the speed of today. Where we've been is admirable. Where we are is impressive. Where we're going is unlimited. And there's no signs of slowing down. In the quest for success, Questrom means business. 